Welcome to another episode with the Market Dominance Guys, a program about the innovators, idealists, and the entrepreneurs who thrive and die in the high-stakes world of building a startup company. We explore in the cookbooks, guidebooks, and magic beans needed to grow your business. Did you know that during a cold call, your tone is more important than the words you use? Who would have guessed that tonality ranks higher than the message you so carefully crafted? Jason Bay, Chief Prospecting Officer of Blissful Prospecting, joins our market dominance guys, Chris Beal and Corey Frank, to talk about this very thing. How a sincere tone communicates authenticity, which is so important when attempting to connect with your prospects. The guys also discuss how preparing and practicing cold calls can put you at ease enough that you are then able to concentrate on listening to the other person in the call, your prospect. According to Jason, if you really listen to your prospect's tonality, you'll hear what they are thinking but not saying. You've got to be so used to delivering your message that you're not thinking much about what you're going to say. That way, you can really be tuned in to the other person. We'd like to suggest you tune into this Market Dominance Guys episode to learn even more about how your tone of voice tells all. Absolutely. Well, welcome to another episode of the Market Dominance Guys. This is Corey Frank and my esteemed co-hosts, the Sage of Sales, the Prophet of Profits, Chris Beal, as always. Welcome, Chris. How have you been this past week since our last recording session? Oh, this has been a rocking week. It's been wild. I think I've had five new ideas, two of which were worth <laughs> not throwing away this week. It's really something. And I understand not to disclose too much for the audience here, but for competition is about to weep. I have a premonition that competition is about to weep here in the next few weeks with all the deals that um, uh, certainly Connect and Sell has been dragging in uh, in this very profitable and high velocity Q4, correct? Yeah, Q4 tends to be good for us. And I think this one is going to be pretty unusually good. So yeah, it's going to be, it's a lot of fun. Yes. And so today we have, I think, the butteriest, is that a word, butteriest voice in the business. We have Jason Bay, CEO of Blissful Prospecting as our guest in the studio. So welcome, Jason, to the Market Dominus guys. I'm excited to be here. I was a little nervous about what was going to come out of your mouth after you said butteriest. My skin, my body. I don't know what, well, what, you're, what you're about to go with that. Extra century, I could probably, yeah, I could wax your head a little bit. But uh, yeah. I know Chris is a big advocate of tone. And I'd like to talk about that maybe even out of the gate or so, because Chris is a connoisseur of the craft and certainly you, Jason, for what you do at Blissful, which we want to learn all about. But tone is so important, especially when we're talking about top of funnel for market dominance. So, Chris, the first time you were on Jason's podcast last week, I guess. And so first impressions, just if you close your eyes and you just think about the tone of getting a cold call from Jason, what are your thoughts? Oh, I'm just saying yes. I mean, if Jason closed a call with, fantastic, I'm a morning person, I'll shoot something over for next Thursday and we'll move it around if we have to. He's going to get like 130% of the people he talks to saying yes, 130%. He'll invent new people will come over and say, did I hear that correctly? I want in on that meeting too. That's what it's going to be like. And, and it is, I mean, I'm deadly serious, by the way, that tone is everything. In fact, I was talking with with Jeff Hatfield the other day and Scott Webb's partner in crime over there at Hub International. And he said, you know, people think that strategy and execution 
are where it's at and that conversations work in service of strategy and execution. They're a thing you do and you have conversation tools and analytics and all that around that. And this guy, by the way, is a world-class strategist. He's the real deal kind of strategist, right? And he said, conversations are up here at the top of the business. Everything else is dependent, Ooh. including strategy and execution. Well, when you think about conversations, conversations by information content are almost all tone and very little of it is the actual words. So we know that the words that we've spoken so far here might comprise as words typed out. We might've gotten four or 5,000 bits of information out so far, the equivalent of a couple of emails, right? Maybe 5,000 bits an email is, is roughly the case. But the tone is being carried at 20,000 bits a second and it all counts. It all goes right into the midbrain. It isn't very far between here in the center of your head. And there's nothing to stop that information from going in. So if Hatfield's right, and by the way, I've known Hatfield only for a year and a half, but I've actually never known him to even be slightly wrong, except about whether he's going to make a putt or not. Okay. <laughs> so on all other matters, as far as I know, Jeff Hatfield is always correct. Mm -hmm. And he, this is a strong statement from a guy who's an actuary. An actuary, wow. Wow. right? Think about that saying, and a strategist. And he says, execution, Great. Strategy, yeah. Conversations actually rule the yeah. fortunes of any company. And that's really something. And it's all tone. So what do you think about that, Jason? I see uh, oversized ukulele in the background there. You can see. So you're a musical guy, clearly. Did you learn your tone or were you think you were born with your tone? Was there a point when you started in your sales career that you were oblivious to your tone and your pace and your authenticity, or did you have to work at it like the rest of us? <laughs> yeah, I, the selling came pretty natural to me that my first job at 18 in college was going door to door selling house painting services. Ooh. So I signed up as a summer job as a big company that hires kids and essentially teaches them how to run a franchise. And, um, to kind of zoom back to when I was five though, cause this will answer your question. I remember when my parents, signed me up for soccer. I was super shy kid. So signed me up for soccer. And my dad's like, you know, you don't need to do this forever, but you need to try it. We think you're really going to like it. And when my mom dropped me off in little minivan, I remember walking up to the field and the coach, his name is Steve Hurd, I think is his name. And I remember walking up like this because I was so shy and embarrassed that other people that I didn't know were looking at me. You know, that's how shy I was. When I uh, kicked a goal in one of the games, and the people in the stands were cheering, they had to stop, my coach had to call a timeout because I was so embarrassed. As soon as I figured out that they were clapping for me, I just couldn't take it. So I've always had this kind of unassumptive approach to most things, just out of shyness. And we could spend a whole hour talking about what I've learned in therapy about what that shyness probably was. <laughs> but I've always kind of approached things from the place of, you know what, if you don't want to do this, that's okay. And I think that that's really key when I was doing door to door, I picked up on that really, really quickly. Now teaching salespeople was something I struggled with at first, but the going door to door and I still remember the pitch. It was not, uh, hey, my name's Jason. I'm a student at Oregon State University. I was coming by because I'm running a house painting business this summer. We're gonna be painting a lot of houses in your neighborhood. And I was wondering if you were thinking about getting any painting done this summer. Yeah. And then I would do whatever I needed to do objection handle from there. But it was very similar to you know, how I approached cold calling for the first time. 
I didn't really struggle with that. Like they had a, this company that I worked with, they had this thing called the Shark Tank and they built this feature into their custom built CRM. They called it the Shark Tank, but they have about 150,000 leads that come in through the system across the nation every year. And what they would do with the Shark Tank is they found a way to compile the data, much like we would enlist with people that signed up for estimates that didn't book a paint job, right? People that signed up for estimates that never got an estimate. And we would call through this, and I don't know, I was never really taught how to actually make the call. I just thought, hey, I'm gonna introduce myself. If the person doesn't wanna do an estimate, that's okay, but I'm just gonna kinda come in and tell them that I would like to stop by their house, and if they you know, if they don't want me there, that's okay. I think a lot of the tonality looking back and what I try to teach now is I think your mentality really drives a lot of your tonality. When people try to fake their tonality and try to make their voice sound a certain way, I find that that's a lot harder than just coming from a place of, you know what, I don't, I did a lot of research on you. I don't really need you to talk to me right now. If you're open to, I would love to. You know, you can even hear it in my tone right now. So that's kind of how I think it came pretty naturally. To me, teaching it was, was much harder. Well, this is a microcosm of how you sell on the phone. And certainly from watching some of your podcasts and your content on LinkedIn, I think I think it is. It's that you're three-dimensional sales professional. You use your hands, you use your body language. I was talking with a rep yesterday, and we we're showing the old Toy Story clip of Tom Hanks, who's on camera doing the Toy Story read-along. So it's a voiceover, right? He's he's an animated character. And it's not like he's sitting down behind a desk saying, you are not a toy. And what's the next line? I mean, he was standing up. He was the typical Tom Hanks, Tom Hanks, oversized animated self. You are not a toy. And even though they're not recording any of that, they just want his voice and his emote. And Chris, I think Jason probably competes with you with how many different positions he's had in his short lifespan, but one of your positions, you worked at an actor's theater, a dinner theater. I recall, I think one of our earlier episodes from a few years ago or so, and you probably got a front row of how actors, and certainly you did your share of door-to-door selling. Is there something to this actor door-to-door selling face-to-face and using that to translate well on the inside and uh, for phones? Yeah, I think it's kind of a mix. It's it's funny. I'm in complete agreement with Jason that it comes from inside. Your mentality conditions your tonality. I love that. I don't know if you said conditions, but I did, and it was kind of fun. I like the extra syllables there. They sounded poetic to me. But I do believe that's a fact of the world. When uh, and and I think we just heard something. By the way, we know we know there's. Uh, a lot of research that says uh, introverts make better salespeople than extroverts, and nobody really knows why. It, this is more extreme, Jason. You're saying that actual shyness, which came from somewhere, and hopefully you haven't expunged completely because you're still quite good, but that shyness is an, a great foundation for, I don't know how to put it exactly, but I remember as a door-to-door salesperson, I thought of it as innocence. So when I would knock on your door, I would say, hi, I'm Chris Beal. I'm your new Fuller Brush fan. You probably don't know what Fuller Brush is. I sure don't. That was what I said when you when you opened the door. And then I'd just stand there. And, and, and I couldn't think of anything tr- more truthful to say. And it, But I was certainly vulnerable. Mm-hmm. I mean, I sure don't is not something that comes out of a salesperson's mouth when it comes to, do you know what you mean? I don't even know who I'm working for, right? I sure don't. And people would always 
after a little hesitation, all of them would say, how can I help you? Mm. How can I help you? And I think that's a big part of sales is it's mutuality. And if we're always that, that got that push and that desire for you to do something, you're going to push back. And if we're okay with however it goes, we give you room to come toward us. One thing that you mentioned on the podcast we were on, Chris, that just kind of blew my mind in the way that you explained it was you talked about the first seven seconds and the fact that it's less about managing our fear as the salesperson and more about helping the prospect manage their fear. So if you kind of chunk that up a little bit and think about the you know psychology behind that, I think that one thing you need to be really aware of and one thing I've just always thought about is the other person. So when I would teach people to go door to door, it was little things that I would notice where, hey, when that little old person, that man or woman opened the door, did you notice that they seemed very uncomfortable and almost a little scared of you actually? Why do you think that that was? And it was little things like the screen door. You opened up the screen door and you're sitting inside the screen door when they open their front door. We'll be back in a moment after a quick break. Connect and sell. Welcome to the end of dialing as you know it. Connect and Sell's patented technology loads your best sales folks up with eight to ten times more live qualified conversations every day. And when we say qualified, we're talking about really qualified, like knowing what kind of cheese they like on their impossible whopper kind of qualified. Learn more at connectandsell.com. <laughs> Corey and Chris. Don't do that. <laughs> How would you feel if someone was up in your face? And I had this guy, he's a football player at OSU. He's six foot one, 210 pounds. He's a huge dude, you know? And the person was clearly scared of him at their door. You know, it's this person that they don't know. There was other little things about how you stand. Are you squared up to the person versus kind of at an angle? There's a stairway going up. Are you maybe down a step so the person can kind of just look down? It's just less threatening. Yep. And I think that the sitting in the other seat of the other person and just thinking about what is it like to receive, be on the receiving end of what I'm doing, just being conscious of that is going to drive a lot of your tonality. If you're thinking about the other person and how you appear, how you sound, how you're coming off, that's a really big part. And the second thing I'd add to this is something Ryan and I talked about was I want to come off as a peer. There's a lot of stuff I've seen and heard content wise out there in cold calling where you want to act lost. <laughs> and put ums and uhs into your intro on purpose. And I'm just thinking if any executive that I've called that's picked up the phone, they don't want to help a lost person. They're way too busy for that. You know what I mean? I need to be very sure that I, I called you on purpose, Corey. I called you on purpose, Chris. And I don't know if I can help you or not, but I did do this with some intention. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with that. The use of Oz and ums. I'm a big advocate of that. So that's where I would politely disagree on a, on a sales approach. Because I don't think it's necessarily being lost. I do like the broken wing mentality, depending on what type of person I'm, I'm calling. But there's a great book by Susan Cain called Quiet. It's been about for about 10 years ago. And she quotes a University of Michigan study where they had a team of survey interviewers just doing public surveys at the university under the guise that um, the most successful interviewers 
the ones who convinced respondents to stay on the line and answer the most questions, spoke moderately fast and paused occasionally with filler, ah, or um kind of statements. And she contrasts that with the interviewers that made no pauses at all, did less poorly. And the rationale behind that study is it, it elicits authenticity. This concept that no, never trust any man who doesn't walk around with a little bit of a limp. <laughs> no one is that polished. That's, that's just a philosophy. The beautiful thing about sales, right? Whether you use Sandler, whether you use Pitch, whether you use Taz, whether you use QBS, whether you use Spin, is to know all these methodologies, I think, makes everybody, and this is what we try to teach here at Branch 49, is learn from the masters. There's a, a great movie we like to quote, have all of our new folks listen to. Chris and I have spoken about it a few times called Juro Dreams of Sushi. Oh, it's yeah. Dead. Right. Yep. So it's a great documentary about the only three star Michelin rated sushi restaurant in the world. And, and I've been there to the Ginza subway station in Tokyo. There's not even a restroom attached to it. And Joel Boucheron, the, the other esteemed three star chef, best restaurants in the world and Ramsey talk about the same concept that Jiro does. And I think I hear that in both you, Chris and, 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 and Jason is they don't hire chefs who and teach them how to cook. They hire chefs to teach them how to taste first. I've got to teach you how to taste. I've got to develop your palate. And then I can teach you how to cook. And what you're saying about don't be squared up, hey, knock on the door, knock on the door, and then maybe walk to the back of the porch and then kind of do the, oh, oh, hey, how are you, right? And then versus open the door and, and, and you're there. And I love that nuance. And applying a lot of those nuances to the phone on the delivery, on the tone. And that's why I'm a big advocate on the, on the ahs and ums. And uh, Oren Clef, who's been on the show several times from Real Pitch Anything and Flip the Script, talks about using hot cognitions and cold cognitions. And cold cognitions, speed, feeds, facts, numbers, data, you're going to do low and slow. When you're talking about hot cognitions, you almost want to if you listen to Elon Musk. He, he's always ahead of his skis. It's like his brain is firing at it. So many synapses that he, he can't sometimes keep up. And it's he's just and it's not enthusiasm. It's just authenticity. It's as uh, the word you used, Chris, innocence. I love that. Innocence. It's endearing sometimes. But but this is a, it's a magical thing, isn't it, to, to do what we get to do. Ryan calls himself a professional. He was a professional salesperson. And now he's a professional caller. And I really like that. So what are you guys' thoughts on that? Is that because that's something that are there natural callers, or do you have to go through this tasting school first before you can really get to the promised land and sell it? We've taken up training people on and I think training is a funny term, but it actually is in this case, on how to experience a great cold call by doing one. And when you really think about it, it is more of a tasting experience than it is a cooking experience. We do all the cooking. Right? We cook up the script. We describe what the and, and have them practice what the different parts are about. But there's a funny thing about the sense of taste, so to speak, in sales, which is we can't taste unless we're under pressure. We taste nothing in a sales situation unless it's real. And so we can role play all day long. And then as soon as we're in the real deal, we're not that person anymore. We're somebody else. So we need to learn to be ourselves 
that is to taste authentically, so to speak, when when we know that that dish we're tasting is going out there to a very, very particular kind of customer, the kind who shows up at that three-star restaurant and sends stuff back if it isn't plated quite right, much less if it doesn't taste perfect. So I think that that's actually what I feel like we do in flight school. I love that analogy is we let people experience the taste of a cold call by doing it under pressure. Then when they go off and they're doing it themselves later, there is something to talk about when they get off the beam, so to speak, when they drift. Mm -hmm. There's something to talk about because they're actually aware of what it it tastes like to do it right. Yeah. And, And yet until you get there, it's like unless you're under pressure performing in sales, it is like an actor. It's like playing a musical instrument. I play very differently when my audience is me. I play a little bit differently when my audience is Helen. I play poorly when my audience is Shelly's boyfriend, Dave, who's a master pianist. It's all it takes, right? Because you put enough pressure on me and that, that ease of being myself at the piano dissolves. Mm-hmm. And so practicing under pressure, I remember this when I was a young pianist, the hardest part of getting ready for a big music competition was figuring out how to put myself under enough pressure to break my ability to play that particular piece, which I had now overlearned. Really? And it was very, very hard to find. I, I once had the luxury in Phoenix of having Liberace show up. Really? Oh, my gosh. 1030 at night at this piano store where I'm practicing because it's the only place I could find this particular piano that was identical to the one that I was going to play at Grady Gamage. And Liberace shows up <laughs> to buy a piano at 1030 at night. And I don't know what people, you know, who in this audience even knows who Liberace is. He's a very flamboyant guy and, and, you know, wore a lot of rings and kind of some sort of outrageous clothing and all this to to others, right? To him, it was just who he was. But truly, truly a master pianist. This guy is like off the charts good. And it was so valuable to me because Liberace walks in and now I, and asks me, what are you playing? And now I've got to play this Bartok piece. Oh, my Liberace. And it actually is what prepared me for the competition. All the other work was worth nothing other than the overlearning, but the pressure was worth everything. And I think that, you know, being yourself under pressure is true mastery. That's how you know, that's, that's when you know you're a master. It's not what your performance is under pressure. It's just, can you be yourself under pressure? Imogene Coca told me this at that dinner theater one night. I said, how can you be so funny on stage? And she says, I've done it so much that I'm still me. Mm. That's beautiful. Yeah. I think the practice piece is so important and like being able to get your reps in so you don't have to think about what you're saying. That's where when you've been doing it long enough, when I get in the zone the most is when I'm doing a training call and sometimes it doesn't happen and it's kind of frustrating because I'm just distracted or off for some reason. But when I get on an hour call with 30, 40 reps or whatever it might be, and I'm very in the zone and I'm just talking and I'm not holding back. I used to have, when I first started training folks, the VP of sales was on the call participating. I, I would play the game of, oh man, well, this person's been running this business longer than I have and they got more experience than I do, whatever, versus just focusing on delivering the message. Yeah. You know, I just hadn't done it in that environment enough. And I think it's totally the same with cold calling, like you're talking about, where have you just gotten in enough reps to not have to think about 
what you're going to say so much and really listen to the person Mm -hmm. so that I can hear nuance in their tonality. One thing I ask reps a lot and challenge them on when I talk about cold calling is one of the three things that you need to do is actually get better at listening. You're not a very good listener. And there's a book called You're Not Listening. You know, it's prescribed reading for my wife. <laughs> but, uh, one of the things that she talks about a lot in that book that's kind of interesting is, and when I ask reps is, what is this prospect thinking that they are not saying? So when someone says in a cold call, we're not interested, or we already have one of those. We already do that. I'm busy. Can we talk next year? Whatever it might be. Are you really listening to the words and the tonality that is behind that? You know what I mean? Yep. There's so much more nuance behind that. I worked with another company, it's a staffing company. The question they would get a lot is because they don't want to be branded as a staffing company because it's more of a software platform that they have where staffing is just kind of a component of it, but they get lumped into the staffing category a lot. Yeah. And I ask them, so when people ask you on the phone, oh, are you guys a staffing company? What's the question behind that question? Because they're not just wanting to know, are you a staffing company? Because you could just say, no, we're not. Here's what we are instead. I want to answer the question that they're not asking. The question that they're not asking, I mean, there's a lot of them. But really what they're asking is, well, we're already trying to fix this problem. And I think it's doing the, doing the job right now. Why would we want to do something else right now when this is working? Or maybe they're wanting to know about your credibility because you called and you're this random person that they've never talked to before. You need to answer those questions when you're answering that question. You know, you need to really think about what, what are they feeling? What is the question behind this question? What are they thinking that they're not saying? Like yeah. that type of, I don't know if you call it tactical empathy or whatever you want to call it, but that's the type of stuff that you can do when you've gotten your reps in and you're not thinking so much about what you're going to say and you're really just tuned in to the other person. It's developing trust, right, Chris? I think uh, talked about that several times is that sometimes you have to like something before you even understand it. And part of getting to that like certainly is trust. And that's why I think we let off this call with, with truly something that was very, very evident, which is your tone. I think the authenticity and, and that the tonality says, listen, I may not need your product, but I like what I'm hearing. I'm not threatened by what I'm hearing enough to say, I want to, I can, I can ask you a question. Well, are you guys like X or are you guys like Y versus sometimes as we've all heard, it's happened to me, folks will hang up on me even before I get past you know, 27 seconds as clearly I was off. Maybe they were having a bad day. Maybe it was the fourth call of the day that they had like that or a plethora of other reasons. But if I get that over and over again, as the connected cell weapon certainly would reveal to me, my coach should be able to say, wait a minute, Corey, the last 27 conversations he's had, he's got a hang up past 18 seconds. Selling a big idea to a skeptical customer, investor, or partner is one of the hardest jobs in business. So when it's time to really go big, you need to use an uncommon methodology to gain attention, frame your thoughts, and employ a successful sequencing that is fresh enough to convince others that your ideas will truly change their world. From crafting just the right cold call screenplays to curating and mapping the ideal call list for your entire TAM, Branch 49's Modern and Innovative Sales Toolbox offers a guiding hand to ambitious organizations in their quest to reach market dominance. 
Learn more at branch49.com. Never miss an episode. Go to any of your favorite podcast venues and search for Market Dominance Guys or go to marketdominanceguys.com and subscribe. Subscribe.